0: Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Twin Cities by Night and our third story arc, Dread. Dread is set in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and St. Paul in the hot and humid summer of 2011. Join us again and continue to follow the journey of Katow, played by Quinn, and William, played by Slavic, as they continue to traverse the dark society held within the Twin Cities. They'll be joined by three new kindred, Warren, a Tremere, played by Adam, Valentine, a Nasiradu, played by Alex, and Lenny, a Nasiradu, played by Andrew. The quarter will find themselves joined together by a sense of dread. If you'd like to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at Twin underscore Cities or Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy So, William, you get up and you're laying in this bed of yours and you see the ceiling, you know, is when your eyes open up, you're staring up at the ceiling. And there's a moment where you're like really like just trying to focus on that ceiling because, you know, the moment your mind starts to wander and it doesn't focus on something and it's left alone with its thoughts and with that deep primordial ocean that lies beneath the reality of everything, maybe even beyond the ceiling that you're currently staring at will overtake you and you might just snap and 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 your mind will never be the same at that moment and at that moment that you're staring at that ceiling in a way almost i would say like mentally desperately praying not to lose yourself you hear you notice the blinking on your nightstand of like your phone indicating that there's a voice message for you
1: so what does it say
0: so you pick up the phone and you yeah. go into your voicemail box and you hear the message that Katow left.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I guess one other thing that I want to do is check out the things William, you know, took photos of and see if there's any information about a detective or any sort of police contacts. That Chase okay.
0: So would it be? Would it be? A proper assumption on my part, if I was to assume that William transferred the pictures he took from his phone to his computer so he could see him better,
1: probably, yeah, possible, I guess.
0: So you're sitting at this desk. Before I even get into that, you know, we talk about like this, like this battle that 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 Williams having for sanity, right? Yeah. When you're alone in your apartment, how do you combat it to where you don't give into it, to your psyche doesn't get into it? give into it Uh,
1: i think william tries to at this point avoid being like alone in his apartment unless he has something to do you know he has his home office whatever so if he he tries to go outside
0: so right now with william looking at this computer monitor of his yeah I would say like, is there like a, like a slight panic in the back of his head? Like he has to do this. He has to look at this. He has to accomplish this and then he can go. But he has like, it's like this presence that's like.
1: Well, I wouldn't call it a panic, but a sort of looming
0: presence. Mm, okay, definitely. And even maybe puts more of an exclamation mark on what you're trying to do here. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you are putting yourself through this to, to accomplish something for uh-huh. lack of a better term, the greater good so you pull up these pictures that you took from Jonathan's house and you see this pinboard that Jonathan had. And there's a moment that you're looking at this picture and it's almost like the first time that someone like really goes to like a real art museum, you know, and they look at like a, a piece of art up close. You know, you may not even know who the artist is. You may not even be a connoisseur of the arts, But you're standing there and you're looking at something that someone created with their hands and that they applied paint to this canvas and that before you and the public and other people that you're able to view this. You may not have been there when someone created it. You may not have seen the strokes of the brush as they painted it or even know the rationale behind their head when they put this together. But now the finished product, though, is standing before you and it's up for you to interpret it. And like many who see art, like like they, they when they see it at a museum like that, this starts bringing out, I would say almost like a sense of emotion in you because of that centerpiece, the nucleus of this picture, the lady in red, this figure that you at first only heard from Ophelia in a panicked state after you went to that debaucherous get together at the mansion. But now when you look at that name written And a red marker by the hand of a madman or a man who was losing his sanity, losing himself, just like you have lost yourself almost now, it has more of an impact on you. Because in a way, you look at that name, the lady in red, and that vision you had of Ophelia, an onyx silhouette of her in the black primordial ocean that you saw right before you went out, lingers in the back of your head. And you start hearing those waves cascading louder than you probably have heard them before. And as you're rushedly, like you fanatically realize that this name is giving strength to the presence that you feel behind you in your consciousness, and you're looking at all these ties right now, and you're looking at those red the strings that are leading from her, and you're seeing like Roman Dunson, and you're seeing like AMC, and you're seeing like um, or AMS, and you're seeing like all these different names, but you don't see a detective's name, but you're, for a second, you're like, fuck, there's no detective's name here. But then you start realizing, like, this is starting to make sense. And I don't know how the geometry in this, in, this, in, in, in this schematic of a madman and this art is starting to click something in you, in your mind. And just like a clock that has not ran in over decades, something has been spun in your head. And now you feel the gears moving. And f- you're looking at this and you realize that Jonathan no matter all his flaws, we're starting to see a glimpse of something.
1: So, yeah, after this whole session, sort of, I see sort of William being really focused, you know, maybe even, like, biting on his fingers so so hard that he draws blood, you know, it's just, like, uh, just intently focusing on this big picture and just sort of, okay, okay. Yeah, I get it. And he'll probably print Uh, print it for later, and he'll take it to the meeting with him.
0: Okay. Now I'm trying to think of a way to articulate this without sounding like a storyteller. Like, you know what I mean? Trying to like implant something.
1: Yeah, I'll just you know, and uh, I I think he'll just keep staring at this printed out picture. You know, just like you know, with a paper, and once he's done with it, it'll be like all very. Crumpled up, and you know, the look really used it won't be like a clean sheet of paper anymore.
0: And I would say there's a moment because you remember back two sessions ago when you let Warren out of the car onto the campus of St. Okay. Catherine University, yeah. And you said that, and at first I thought you were just being a dick, like you know, like by saying that, like you were looking at him, like how he could be used, but you said something that I found really profound in the fact that you feel empathy for him because you feel that like you and him were in similar situations that you were in a similar situation. I guess that you think that he's in now. Yeah. But in that, in that what you are looking at now, I would say that it brings out even more of a empathy for Warren because it brings out in you internally characteristics that you think that you saw externally from Warren. Am I making Mm -hmm. sense when I say that? Yeah, I, I think I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like, 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 you start thinking. It's almost like when you, when you see um, a personality trait in someone that you don't like, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. Then you start seeing similar signs of that trait in yourself, and you start maybe you have a different angle, and you start becoming empathetic towards that person who you. And I'm saying now that 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 drawing in a way has made you somewhat more empathetic in a roundabout weird fucking way. And this isn't me like as a storyteller, like, you know, dropping Warren hints. This is me like simply saying that, like, can something like this drive a man to become like Warren? Because you know, in your instincts, in your heart of hearts that the Tremere don't sit right with you. Yeah, And you know, this man is a Tremere. And so there's this odd runabout connection. Like the other, you know, like, is this, why he's that way so i just wanted to i wanted to articulate that so are you heading to the park then to to meet up with katow over there then definitely yeah lenny your eyes snap open it's cold
2: it's It's cold
0: and you yes and you feel like is there ever a time when lenny wakes up and there's a second he doesn't know where he's at yeah
2: yeah we covered that um where when we first established like his his like uh his place of rest, that um, his first few moments, sometimes there's confusion. Sometimes it's like, oh, shit, I'm drowning. You know, there's always that just brief, like, and then he's like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need to breathe. It's it's cool. But there's always that initial panic.
0: It's always such a weird dichotomy with Lenny, because, you know, for those of you who didn't listen to the character creation session, and you should, if you haven't, and you're watching this for Lenny, Lenny, and I don't say this in an insulting way, but Lenny has features like a tank. I guess the term is used in some games. You know what I mean? But Lenny is not a tank. And it's so odd, such a weird dichotomy to hear like this deep reflective thoughts that Lenny has. You know what I mean? He calms himself down, is always calm. But just beneath that veneer, and we haven't witnessed it yet, but b- beneath that veneer is just like this beast that lies waiting in there. Almost like Lenny is coiled in this freezer. That he puts himself in you know it's like it's just the symbolism the symbolism there is just i don't know just kind of sticks with me whenever i hear lenny's thoughts or how lenny reacts to something because it's like it's like watching the 70s sitcom for the hulk you're always waiting for that half hour mark in the end of episode mark where david banner becomes the hulk you know what i mean and yeah. you just like got this sense of like oh when's he gonna happen and it's just kind of like it brings it feels yeah it up. feels Yeah, it feels like you're dancing with the devil. And right now the waltz is nice, but you're just waiting for him to step on your toes. You know, I'm just as a storyteller, I just wanted to say that I I enjoy the character a lot. So you do your process of getting out of the Mississippi River and you come upon the banks and you start getting, you know, where you hide your clothing and you keep like your flip phone and all that fun stuff. And you you know where um, eventually you come to the bench where you know, you and Gerald are going to meet and before, you know, while you sit on the bench and you look at your phone, you see that text message that Katow had sent you earlier, you know, in mm-hmm. the evening that we mentioned, just want to get that out of the way there. I'll give you a chance to respond to that now before we have a scene with Gerald, or if you want to wait, it's your call.
2: I'll just tell him we'll talk about it in person.
0: All right. So you see that text message there, Katow. As you're sitting there for about 20 minutes, you're looking at the river coming by and you like see the milk weeds and you see like the dr- that same piece of driftwood you've seen maybe for like the last 3 months when you wake up and you see kind of like you hear just very slight noise off and you're guessing it's like a half a mile away just kind of carrying through and the buzz of mosquitoes and you even now though see like this this now that summertime is starting to come into effect you start noticing the lightning bugs that kind of seem to like spark you know randomly once Mm -hmm. in a while, and it keeps you occupied for a second as you're kind of like trying to follow them and you see them like popping around. And then eventually you hear the cracking of the blacktop as a footstep comes upon it. And you know from dealing with Gerald for the last 30 years that this is just a polite way of him letting you know that he's coming upon you, you know, not to be rude. And he walks around the left side of the bench because you're sitting on the right side and he sits down and he's wearing his normal jeans and black shoes and 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 like uh he has like a polo shirt on and he has like you know like i mentioned before kind of like the curly natural curly black hair that's neatly cut and the piercing eastern european blue eyes that 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 speak of like a russian descent Uh, before we continue with the scene am i uh incorrect in assuming you used masks of a thousand faces or are you in your yeah he would have
2: he would have done that just in case. You never know if like somebody's like, yeah, coming up on,
0: coming up on you. I'll let you do. It. Don't worry about it. We'll just say we'll give you a success there. So you're sitting there again for like the customary amount of silence before Gerald says. So you said you had information.
2: Yes. Uh, do you know of anyone within the police department uh, named Burrows?
0: And you see him thinking for a second, and he looks off, and he's like. The name doesn't, doesn't ring a bell at the moment, but I could find out and get back to you if you would like.
2: You probably should. I think uh, he's on the payroll of uh, the Giovanni. He's probably a cop. Uh, called some of her cronies. Gave them a tip to check the police scanner for a lead of someone they're searching for. Apparently they're looking for a pregnant white woman and a Hispanic man don't know anything else about them other than they really want to get a hold of them
0: that's interesting because you're, we have information that we think that Ophelia the Toreador and Catal the gangrel that you're working with were seen with someone similar visiting the establishment of now the former sheriff Ty which by the way we no longer have a sheriff, it seems, in the Twin Cities, and Ty no longer is affiliated with the Camarilla, and we are unsure of his location.
2: So Lenny kind of like cocks his eyebrow and looks at him sideways when he says this?
0: Yeah, it's been an interesting last couple of days from what Elijah has told me, <laughs> is that Ty tried to reach out to members of the Primogen Council, including Christopher, his Primogen, and has this idea in his head where he believes that the Melkavians killed Bugs, Dupati. That's Katao's sire, and he was one of the deputies. From my understanding is that he didn't feel he got the reaction that he wanted from sharing that information, and he decided no longer to be part of the city and said he didn't want to hold the position anymore, and now he's gone. Elijah and I, I guess believe... I
2: that's his prerogative.
0: Yes. But it's just one of the many cascading steps that seems to be falling on these cities now. I mean, the cities for like the last 30, 40 years have been pretty quiet with an occasional flare-up until now. Now we have people disappearing, people hypothetically meeting final death.
2: Speaking of that, hmm. these two cronies, they... uh they, they were talking with a certain uh, Duncern, Roman Duncern, who's associated with Rita. Now, they mentioned in their conversation that some kind of illegal deal that they were doing with uh, that missing guy, Jonathan Chase. Don't know what's going on there, but uh, they had some sort of connection to him. So they might be, they don't know what happened to him is what they were saying they seem pretty lost, and they're also concerned with him disappearing. So they're aware of it, but they don't seem to be behind it.
0: Something's going on with these Giovanni. Rita Giovanni has been a delegate of the Twin Cities for fuck before I have got here. And you hear, like, when he says fuck, you don't really hear Gerald curse that much. And she has done very well and not drawing too much attention. Live and let live. Has kind of been the mentality that people have had with her, but it worries me. And the, and the fact that people of our society are, who associated with them are disappearing. I'm not foolish. I know that there are kindred in the city who probably have associated with her. That's how things go. But now that they believe that that venture is gone and that they had dealings with him and they don't know why he's gone. It just concerns me.
2: I'm going to be meeting with Kaitao here. Um he should be arriving shortly. If you want to listen in, by all means do so. If you want, I can uh point him in their direction. They uh they're yeah. definitely weak points of hers.
0: Yes. We let me explain how we think that the Giovanni handle themselves at the moment. We know that Roman is her closest associate. He as I'm sure you picked up, is not one of us, but he's close to her. Those two brothers, their last name, I believe, is Putneska. And we have kind of had an idea that they may be doing some underbelly type stuff, but nothing to draw too much attention to themselves. In a way, they're smart in that. But we know that there's one more that we are having a hard time locating exactly who it is. Uh, Another one of her associates. As to your question about leaving them that way, I'll leave that to your judgment. But I have a I have a question for you before I go. You're pretty certain that you feel the Giovanni have nothing to do with the disappearance of Jonathan Chase?
2: What I'm certain of is that these three don't know that they mm. do. They are confused about it, and they're looking into it for their lady, as they put it.
0: That leads to me, that makes me believe they have nothing to do with it, but I don't understand if they if Well running... she
2: might without telling them. You never know.
0: Yeah, that that is very well a possibility.
2: I mean, you don't tell every your pawns everything.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. And what I what I am what I am wondering but just doesn't it's hard for me to grasp. So what I would what I originally honestly thought was one theory of what could have happened one hypothesis was the fact that they were responsible not only for the disappearance or death of ophelia but also of jonathan chase i mean it would make sense right two members of the same quarter who are working together maybe they stumbled upon something maybe they did not want it to be found they took him out kind of drastic hasn't happened here in the cities before but then now after you told me this my first initial thought was okay so then they took out Ophelia but then who took out Jonathan but then I would think to myself what are the odds of two members of the same group came on the radar of two opposing forces that had to be taken out for two separate reasons am I making sense in that it's just what what's the odds of that so that leads me to I guess my next question for you and maybe something to keep your ears open for I told you when I first spoke to you and um uh, I, again, I'm gracious that you, you you took this task. And again, thank you. But I told you when I first spoke to you that we feel that there's some kind of opposing force going on right now against the Giovanni. Did you did you catch any wind of that, or what that what what might that be, or any signs of that, or anything? Not Maybe. yet. Okay. All
2: right. right. Don't worry. I'm on it.
0: Oh, I, I'm I'm not worried. I'll listen. <laughs> he smiles at you. You know what I mean. I'm gonna go for a walk. Uh, when you're done, I'll probably take off, and we can speak again in person tomorrow or later. Okay. Okay. All right. You have a good evening, Lenny. And he puts his hand firmly on your shoulder, and then gets up and turns around and walks off. As you are left there, sitting on the bench. What is going on in your mind right now, Lenny? Before we switch scenes,
2: Lenny is um, he's a bit nervous. Uh, Gerald being uh, like kind of unsure about who's moving against them uh the giovanni specifically and being concerned about it makes him a little bit uh like okay you know we're still kind of figuring this out it makes him a bit nervous like because it could be something really bad or it could be like oh well we just overlooked something so so there's a little bit of nervousness to it and he's glad at the same time that he's able to provide like, he, he was able to, to be useful here and show, like, he's proving himself worthy. You know what I mean? Like, that, like, hey, look, I wasn't just given this, like, gift of undeath and wasting it. Like, I'm actually, like, I can do this. So he's kind of, like, a little bit, like, at the same time, full of pride at the moment. Like, proud of himself, and at the same time, a little bit worried. Like, hmm, things are heating up. There's still some uncertainty out there, but he's also, you know
0: yeah like you're proud you made it to the big leagues but you're scared of the big leagues it's like you, how yeah. you're in the big yeah. leagues yeah yeah, yeah exactly I, I feel you definitely uh before we leave your scene i just want to remind you and, and i'm sure you picked it up too but the um during that police scanner when they were listening the conversation that christopher and bobby aka robert i can't decide which one to call him but bobby putneska had was um that they were worried that whoever was shooting at those two were part of the other team. They're saying, you know what I mean? The other group. Yeah, but there's fight. no hint. Of oh yeah. There's no per- Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I I get, that's why you didn't say, it. I just was saying that just to reaffirm for, you
2: know, you and listen. Yeah. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to make yeah. any assumptions and like feed Gerald yeah. information that might not. Exactly. Be right.
0: Cause like data, you put bad data in there, the bad conclusion is going to be reached. And then that's going to make you look bad and then show yeah. you don't deserve to be in the big leagues. So you're treating it like a professional man. So that's good. I'm happy to hear that. So, Warren, you get into this cab and the cabbie looks at you and he's like, Where are you heading, sir?
3: A dirty corner on the north side. Just go.
0: And he kind of looks in the rearview mirror at you and I think he sees like the terseness and hears the terseness in your voice. And he pulls off the curb and he starts cutting through the streets of this area of like, you know, like I said, older, bigger homes that are around St. Catherine University, kind of outside of it. While he's driving, because it's going to take about 30 minutes to get there through traffic what is going on in your head right now after that conversation that you had and what i mean like tell us what is going on right now in warren's head why he wants to go there like all the thoughts that are kind of like swarming his head right now because i mean to be honest as a storyteller you caught me by surprise because i didn't expect the outcome when she said that but it's cool you know i'm not like saying like you made the wrong choice but i'm just curious of like the rationale like why this happened
3: warren is just simmering with anger right now and he needs to vent. And he's not sure how he's going to vent. But he knows it's going to be ugly. And he knows it's going to be something that he'll have to cover up after the fact.
0: Originally, as a storyteller, I thought that, like, she scared you. And was like, stay, keep your mind on track. But really, am I wrong in saying that, like, he doesn't want to show up and see Melissa angry. So now he feels like he needs an outlet for this anger. Like, it's almost like he just yes. needs to, like, this release. Oh, Okay, that's interesting, because I've never, like, so is Warren the type that bottles all these, like, all the the, the abuse and the being talked down to and, like, bottles that all up and finds he needs to release that? Is that, like, how Warren handles, like, these years of abuse, or is this something new now that's, like, happening in Warren's existence? It's a thing that he's probably done before, you know, a quiet, you know, beating someone
3: to death in an alleyway
0: every five to ten years. I like it like there's a significance behind it like he doesn't do it all at once and i would say even like now like it's like a like a cleansing you know like before clearing your head before all this goes on and to be honest i never realized that like that this kind of impact would have happened from from someone like cynthia saying that but that's an interesting layer of this character that we never got to explore It's not just her
3: saying that, it's also the accumulated effects of the decades of her maltreatment and her viciousness towards him.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, um, not to condone people who do this, but it's like that cycle of abuse, you know, when someone gets abused and so their only way they know how to... Not everyone. And I'm not trying to imply that. And again, I'm not condoning people who do abuses of some sorts, but, with, you know, that's the only way they know the release of their abuse. Now everyone has a choice to make, but Warren has been a kindred for 40 years. You know, let's look at katal Let's look at William. Let's look at Lenny. Let's look at these kindred who have only been around 20 years and who have just now started dealing, you know, with their condition. Warren has had 40 years of that you know warren has dealt with the condition i'm sure you know i mean and not only before that warren was a ghoul for about 20 years where william was a ghoul for a year or two so warren for over 60 years has dealt with the beast and has dealt with this curse that that has been levied upon you know the whole group so it's not surprising as a storyteller to to know to hear that warren this is warren has done this before and this is a way that warren knows so that's interesting i love that that's a development on warren that sheds more light because warren and i was saying this in the break but warren is a is a character that's hard as a storyteller for me to be able to i feel give opportunities to expand you know what i mean because he's an introvert you know what i mean the introvert characters and you're playing him great and i love warren and do not take this any way but it's so moments like this are really impactful you know what i mean where like you get a reaction from something that you did not think you'd get a reaction, you know, so kudos. So I just wanted to say that's a good development. And and, and as a storyteller, I cherish these little nuggets when it comes to, like, a character like Warren because, like I said, Warren's a, 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 a victim of abuse and quiet and introvert. So it's really open to pry that open. So definitely. All right, cool. Thank you for He's shining. Most the... definitely forwarding the cycle. Yeah, definitely forwarding the cycle. Exactly. And trust me, you're not the only monster in the group. None of these other, none of these other uh, characters can look at past judgment. So, uh, but that's unfortunately what vampire is, you know, it's a curse and um, that's what we deal with in this game. So you are in this cab and for 30 minutes, you just are looking between the seats and you see like the toll, you know, the red numbers kind of go up. You see the scenery change outside the windows. The cab driver turns on some local, you know, top hits station doesn't turn up too loud, but he is well aware that you don't want to have a conversation. And through his years of driving cabs, he knows when to shut up and he knows when to drive. He knows when not to question, you know, Hey, uh, middle-aged 30 something white guy in a sports jacket and a turtleneck wants to get dropped off in the hood. Fuck him. Drop him off in the hood. It's not his choice. You may be some repressed, you know, father, husband who needs to find release from some some hooker or whatever, or maybe pick up drugs, or who knows? He knows better to question, because the things that this man has seen is probably equatable to some of the things you have seen in your existence. So he drives these thirty minutes, eventually he starts coming upon the northeastern side of Minneapolis. Northeastern side of Minneapolis. As Warren watches the okay. uh,
3: the dial go up on the meter, mm-hmm. he's going to think to himself that that's the money he should have been spending on coffee and books, and he's just going to oh. get angrier
0: but his anger is just like brewing in him right now oh geez okay definitely so it's just like a reminder that like that not only did cynthia make you not be able to see her now you're you're being reminded by this toll. oh god damn that's that's fucking nuts the cab driver starts coming into the northeastern side of minneapolis which unfortunately is a side of minneapolis that has not been gentrified It's a side where African-Americans have have resided here since like the the 40s and 50s. Um, This is a side where it is strictly African-American. It's not Somalian-American, which currently right now in the Twin Cities, there's this simmering Feud, and you want to quite know about it you might have seen like news stories but between like Somalian second generation Somalian Americans who want to emulate like the hip-hop lifestyle and actual African Americans who who don't think these people are legit you know that they're just immigrants you know and so there's there's just simmering just under the surface of the of the lower poverty scale like this little um, uh disagreement abrasive I don't want to call it a war but definitely Um, You know where you're going right now, strictly African American. These people have roots in Minneapolis. You know, there's projects here in Minneapolis. And you're starting to get to the outskirts of this area. Matter of fact, this was kind of for those of you who are listening or watching, this is the outskirts where Paul Hughes had his apartment, you know, him being a Caucasian, he lived in a lower end area. And this is where the drug dealer T, who's now deceased, was accosted by the Cordery at the time to find out information about Paul Hughes. This cab driver slowly starts going down this street where there's like, you know, unpainted fire hydrants and like, you know, these, these, these brownstone type duplexes, brownstone type duplexes where there's like two homes within one with these steps that come up to it. And you kind of see off in the horizon, if he keeps going down the street, you see the looming four project buildings that are like, you know 30 stories high of the park view uh, complex which is like the projects but you're not even closer but you know like those projects out there is like where even if you with your supernatural gifts you know what i mean were to get dropped down in the middle there it would just you know what i mean It'd be way too much attention but right now where the cab driver is at is more of like where you kind of will fit the need that you'd want to fit. You see a couple of people couple, sitting on the the front steps, you know, some mothers you see kind of overweight mother with like holding a kid, smoking a cigarette. And you see like a two year old of hers running around in a diaper. She's watching and she's yelling at him to get back to where she can see him. And you kind of, Drive by a couple others where you see, like, some teenage African Americans that are standing there just, like, talking to each other. You see, you know, like, like, you can kind of tell that maybe they're up to no good, but they're definitely just, like, you know, sitting there talking amongst each other, like, five of them. And the cab driver looks in the rearview mirror, and he's like, tell me when you want to stop, sir.
3: Warren will keep an eye out for an empty alley. And when he sees one, he'll ask to stop there.
0: All right. And you see the car, the taxi pull over, and you see... Him do the meter thing and he looks at it and it says like, you know, like $26. And he's like, it's $26, sir.
3: Warren will hand him forward and say keep the change. And he'll get out and he'll walk down the alley and he'll act- activate obfuscate if there are no uh immediate observers.
0: Yeah, you walk into the alley and, and there there are no immediate observers because on the right side of the alley, there's like this rent to own. Furniture, appliance, place that, you know, you never see in the white neighborhood areas where, you know, they take advantage of like poor people or lower income people by charging ridiculous amounts of interest, you know, to rent something, you know, like a TV or a washing machine or dryer. And unfortunately, people in this area have no choice but to take advantage of, you know, something like that. And then on the left side, you see like a barbershop that currently maybe looked like it closed like an hour ago and you see like a closed sign. So you're able to walk into this alleyway as you step into the alleyway it's about like like 10 feet wide and you see like there's brick on the sides and you see there's kind of like a dumpster that's on the side of one of them and you see you smell the pugnant like smell of like trash and you have a feeling that people who might live in the area you know might be throwing the trash in there rather than like their trash cans and as you look down this alley you can see the alley comes to like like there's a part there's like a um like a little drive lane that goes at the end of the alley it's not like a street but it's like for people who want to go behind the business like if they had to like drop something off there or like a trash truck and at the and past that there's like a like a 10 foot 12 foot tall brick wall with a fence and you can kind of see it like there's like some backyards to like some smaller homes that are like you know unfortunately decrepit like you know 900 foot square feet 800 square feet homes that people live in but when you look up there you don't see anyone back there because it's completely dark and you walk and you you hear the the, the sound of your feet kind of echo for a second and then when the shadows overcome you you turn on obfuscate and what are you doing from there when you turn on obfuscate
3: i'm gonna wait to see if anyone follows me down the alley i'll give it about five minutes to see if someone's trying to mug me or jump me
0: as you are standing there there's a moment you know like there's you're standing there, you're waiting. And, you know, five minutes is a long time when you're waiting, you know, when you're waiting for something to come along. And I think in the five, those five minutes, I would even say your anger probably is like starting to come out a little bit more because then you're now you're thinking, now you're thinking, I'm standing in a fucking alleyway in northeast Minneapolis when I could be in gentrified St. Paul sitting across from this lady who respected me since the only lady since my wife who showed respect to me who seemed to have advice that could help me you had beautiful you know curlish hair who who seemed interested in me and you know like these thoughts are going through your head and you're like almost like i would say on the brink of frenzy just like by yourself sitting there until you see like like kind of like two heads kind of pop in you like kind of like look over into the alleyway and they're african-american and they look like they're probably about 17 or 18 and you hear one go I don't see that motherfucker in here. Hey, you go back around that way, go through the walkway. I'm going to walk through here and see where you went. All right. And he's like, all right. and he's like, you see him turn around and walk off and you see the one kid come and walk around the corner of the alleyway. And he's wearing like, jean shorts that kind of go to above his knees and he has like a timberwolves like basketball jersey on but it looks like it's about like six years old looks like it you know but he's trying to like look you could tell he's like tried to take care of it to make it look still new like how expensive it was when whoever owned it when it first came out was and he has like this timberwolves straight build basketball hat on again that you can tell just from looking on that he's taken care of you know like it's like a religious artifact like like this is one possession that can show that he kind of has status in his culture in the area as this expensive straight build starter timberwolves hat that you know he's never let get get dirty and hasn't let disappeared and you see that he's wearing like like these Air Jordans that also, you know, that perfectly white, but they're like, you could tell like shoes like that. And this city won't stay that white unless they were immaculately taken care of. And you see him walk and he's looking around and you see like, he's looking, he sees the dumpster and he starts like slowly, like walking, but you're on the side of the dumpster between him and the dumpster, but he doesn't see you, but he's assuming that either a, you left the alleyway and you went down to the end, left or right, or for some reason you'd be hiding behind the dumpster. But, in his head, he, I mean, why would you be hiding behind the dumpster, you know? So he's, like, slowly, they'll walk, and, like, he's almost like a predator himself, you know? Like, he knows these streets like the back of his hand. He knows these, this neighborhood, like his own hunting ground. He knows every nook and crevice he knows where people can hide because he hid them he hid there himself when he was growing up when he was a kid playing hide and seek with his friends before he had to like start fighting for survival or fighting for any kind of like any kind of status in his culture here so he's walking by and i'd say he's like within three feet of you at the moment
3: all right warren's going to wait yeah he'll wait until this kid is covered from the alley's entrance by the dumpster or some sort of debris in the alley and he's going to get right behind him. And okay. at the first reasonable opportunity, Warren is just going to bite into the back of this kid's neck.
0: As the kid walks past you and you can kind of see like, he's like looking around slowly. And then he's creeping around to look at around the back end of the dumpster. And as he walks around, he doesn't see anything and you come upon him. And as soon as you grab his shoulders, you sink your fangs into his neck, and you feel for a second like a tenseness from him, like he's trying to fight you off, and then you fight, see like he kind of just melts into you. I need you to roll a self-control roll. Let's say difficulty six. All right. Uh, uh, negative two successes. You snap out of it. All you knew is that you bit into his neck, and now you're kneeled down behind this dumpster, and you have this this kid. I mean... He was maybe on the brink of manhood, but now he's just a kid and you see that like, it was almost like he was on his knees and you pushed him back until where like his back touched the ground, you know, uncomfortably to where it would pull a muscle of any man. And you see his head is like being held up by the dumpster. So he's in this position we're almost like you came upon him and you just press down on you like you turn him around you just press down on him and there's a moment where you're standing there and you really a moment where you're on your knees and you're like only like six inches from his face and you see his face has these ragged gashes that are coming across and you see like one that's I like his eye socket the eye is missing from it and it's staring back at you hollowed full pink blood and icker is kind of like starting to seep out slowly. Like the, like the vitae that came from there is not pumping as it probably should. And you see like his lip was ripped off and you see like his teeth and his gums were exposed. And you see like his jaw is broken and it was like hanging from the side. And you see where you've been into his neck. You see like these bite marks, like you took chunks of his skin out and just, in just this puddle of blood, has pulled behind his head and you you see your hands for a second. You realize you're trying to get control of your body because you feel like you don't have control of it. And you see your hands are on his traps of his shoulders. And you see that they're, they're full completely crimson and covered in blood. And you see like, while you're looking at your hands, you follow the tracing of your pinky and you look on the ground in the pool of blood. And you see the eyeball is just sitting there and is looking at the brick that is to the left of you. And you feel like this wetness on your chin and on the bottom, like coming down your throat and you look and you're trying to like wipe it off you. And as you move it, you realize that your hands are covered in this coagulating blood and that the blood that is on your chin and on your neck is starting to coagulate. So the more that you try wiping it and the more that you try cleaning it, it just seems to spread almost like an oil spill on a bird, on a hapless bird that was caught in it. And no matter how much you try to, get this blood off you you can't and you as soon as you like realize the situation you're in it smacks you the starker reality of what you did and how impulsive it was that you did. I need you to give me a conscience roll please difficulty eight. Eight one success. So when you realize the moment that you were impulsive, you're struck with this guilt, man. I mean it slaps you across the face right now where you're at, what you did. I mean It was not but 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you had a boy this age and the sorrow of your son who you have no idea what happened to who your wife took and ran when you did not even have the impulse control to not run off and have a ravenous affair with someone and you now still have those impulse control problems and you sit there and you're standing on your knees. And I would say almost like adding to the blood that is coagulated, like from your like bottom of your nose down are these tears that start coming out of your eyes as you're staring there at this figure and it slaps you and you realize right now, what are you going to do? I mean, there's you, you, you are a junkie. You basically did not have the control to stop yourself and you let your emotions take over. And now what makes you any different than Cynthia? At least Cynthia has the control to keep her stuff in house. At least Cynthia isn't taking innocent boys off the street and ripping them and killing them out of frustration because she didn't get what she wanted.
4: Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day stop on by we hope to see you there high level games the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level we are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca we have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games, with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming. (laughs) The Los Angeles metropolitan area is constantly growing and changing. The Central District is full of new buildings. The Hollywood and Wilshire districts once far from downtown, now are part of a which spreads past Beverly Hills and out to the ocean. But why is all this going on in Los Angeles? Why is Los Angeles an exploding city?
1: Neon Masquerade
4: The Demon's Mirror
1: Thirteen Candles
4: Three Chronicles Running Through the Undead Veins of the City of Angels.
1: The Esoteric Order of Role Players Actual Play Podcast invites you to drink deeply.
4: Go to eorpodcast.com and search the duets tag to find
3: out more.